This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Assalamu alaikum. A'udhu billahi minash shaitan rajim. Bismillahir rahmanir rahim. Wassalatu wassalam ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Rabbi shrah li sadri wa yassir li amri wa ahlul uqdata min lisani yafqahu qawli. Um, I want to welcome all of you today. Thank you for coming out. I know it's raining. I know there's a lot of traffic. Jazakallah um, khair for supporting this effort. Uh, I was sitting here during the presentation listening to what the um, MLFA does, and I was blown away uh, because the reality is that the United States is decades ahead of a lot of other countries in terms of the, you know, I was sitting next to my husband who's British, and he's like, we don't have this. We need something like this in, in the UK. And this is a blessing that we have here in the US. And this is something that we have to support. Because the reality is that we are, um, there is a witch hunt. And, and you guys know this. We know that there is injustice happening. And if we allow that injustice to happen, it will only grow. The thing that I love about what this organization is doing is that they're setting Precedence. So they are, we are sending a message that it's not okay to do these things to Muslims. One of the biggest problems that we're facing is that there's started to become, you know, in every period of time, there's like a type of discrimination and bigotry that becomes acceptable. And there's a kind that's unacceptable. And the problem is that, yes, we've gone through time times where it was acceptable to 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 uh, discriminate against African Americans. It was acceptable. It was something that people it was it was normal. Um there was a time when it was acceptable to discriminate against Japanese Americans. Um and, and so what we've seen is that throughout time we unfortunately as a nation and even you know as a people, as a race, uh, we have unfortunately despite how much you know, how progressive we've become and how much we've grown and, you know, there's technology and there's all these developments. But unfortunately, there's still that acceptable bigotry and now it's against Muslims. It's, 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 it's okay and not only, and I will go even further to say that it's not just okay to be biased against Muslims, but in some cases, it'll win you elections. In some cases... It will not only is it acceptable, but it's actually it, it's political like capital. It'll actually gain you support and will even win you elections. And when you really want to get a candidate, right, and you really want to um, uh, make a candidate lose their place in an election, what do you do? You call him a Muslim, right? What did they always be saying about Obama, right? The point here is that this has become the acceptable. Uh, you know, bullseye that people have have actually uh, it, it's it's something that people are okay with, and so this type of work I cannot say how important it is. I know that not everyone raised their hand, and, and you know some people uh, they want to give in in secret. May Allah subhanahu wa taala reward those who give publicly and those who give in secret, because Allah actually mentions both of them in the Quran that there are some who give secretly and then those who give publicly and secretly. Both are rewarded. Yeah, and we just have to set our intention for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But those who want to give in secret, I, I, I urge you to please give something before you leave. I just urge you to give something, even if it's 
less than what he was asking, but give something and make your intention for what I'm about to talk about. SubhanAllah, the thing that I've learned about service, the thing that I've learned about giving to others, is that in fact, when we give to others, we are ultimately and first off giving to ourselves. And that's amazing. Because so often, um, you know, may Allah bless him, the brother was talking about how much we can help other people, right? And that was the push, is that the focus was on how I can help someone else. And oftentimes when people are asking you to give, you know, you're at a fundraiser, or you're, you know, you're, they're trying to appeal for a certain cause, the, the focus is telling you, here's how you can help another person. Which is all true. That's all true. But I'm actually going to come at it from a different angle. And I'm going to say, this is how you're going to help yourself. And why am I doing that? Because as human beings, we are self-interested. And that's not because we're bad people. Yeah, but that's just the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us. That ultimately, we do, we are motivated by self-interest and we are motivated by self-preservation. At the end of the day, that's how we're designed. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when He wants us to do things, He gives us rewards. Right? He, he gives us Jannah. He tells us, do these things, you'll get this reward. Because that's how, how human beings are. We, we do look out for our own self-interest. That doesn't mean that we're selfish, necessarily. There's a difference between being self-interested and human and being selfish. Because a selfish person only looks out for their self-interest and doesn't care about other people's interests. A selfish person wants their self-interest by any means necessary. That's an awful quality. yeah. But to be self-interested is to be human. That we look for what's going to give us good things. That's going to help us. That's going to give us happiness. That's going to protect us. That's going to protect our families. This is just a normal human motivation. Alright, everybody with me? Now that isn't to say we don't care about others. But that's our one of our ultimate, one of our uh, strongest motivators. So what I'm going to do is actually tell you that when you give to, to causes like this, anytime you give to another person, you are first off giving to yourself. And I'll tell you why. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna talk about it from two different perspectives. One is just the secular psycho, psychological perspective. What the research shows in psychology about service. Now, one thing that was very interesting is they did a study, and they took they took uh, they made four groups of people, and they took these people, and what they did was they divided them into four groups. Okay, each group was told to do different things, and <coughs> one was told to do random acts of kindness. Another was told to treat themselves. So we have one group who's um, being told to help another person. Another group is told to treat themselves. A third group is told to do something that will help the world. So it's kind of like a global impact. And then the fourth was a control group. They were just supposed to keep track of their, their activities for that week. Now, the results were striking of this, of this study. Only the participants who engaged in pro-social behaviors. Now, what are pro-social behaviors? Those were the two groups who helped others, either on a one-to-one basis, on an individual, or a global basis, or a global impact. Only those two groups showed demonstrated improvements in psychological flourishing. What does that mean? They were shown to have increase in their own positive emotions and, and this actually increased from one week to another. 
What is this talking about? What this is talking about is this, that when you take people, and you know, a lot of times if you ask a person, what's going to make you happy? Actually, they've done studies where they ask groups of people. They did one study where they asked millennials, um, millennials, most people in this room are millennials, okay? Millennials are, y'all who are around teenage to 20s, yeah? Um, they asked millennials, what's your number one goal? What's your number one goal? More than 80% of millennials said to make money. Fair enough, okay? More than 50% said to be famous. Okay, so what's happening here is that the majority, the vast majority of people believe that what's going to make them happy, because ultimately what are we looking for in life? We're looking for happiness. We're looking for well-being. That's what motivates human beings. So the vast majority of people believe that happiness actually is in money and fame. That these are the things that are going to bring us happiness. But what's very striking is that when they study happiness, when they study, when they actually look at the reality of happiness and the reality of well-being, they find that it has nothing to do with wealth and it has nothing to do with fame. There's something else that's that's related to happiness. And that's what I'm going to talk about. What is that? So um, researchers say that about 40% of our happiness is inherited. Okay? It's sort of like it has to do with your genes, etc. So about 40% in there. And about 10% is having to do with like safety, food, you know, that you're okay. But that leaves 50%, which is sort of controlled by us by our behaviors, by our thinking. Fair enough? Now, what are the things they found that increase happiness in that 50% that we have control over, essentially, yeah, more or less? One of the most decisive factors uh, that they found again and again in increasing happiness is helping other people. It's pro-social behaviors. It's, it's helping a person in need. It's volunteering. It's giving to another person. And the reason this is so powerful is because we often think that what's going to make me happy is taking care of me, right? We think that, so for example, we had a group in that study where they were actually told to treat themselves, meaning go spend money on yourself, take yourself out, you know what I mean, go to the spa, whatever it is that you want to do to treat yourself. They did not show an increase in happiness. They did not actually show an increase in positive emotion. Isn't that amazing? Even though we believe that these are the things that are going to make us happy. Having more stuff is going to make us happy, right? Or treating myself is going to make me more happy. But in fact, that's not what the research shows. It doesn't make people happier. But what does make people happier is helping another person. That's powerful. Because what it shows us is that Allah, the designer, right? has put, wired us in such a way that will motivate us to do what? What did I say at the beginning? What are we motivated to do? To seek what? Self-interest, happiness. This is something everybody wants. Christian, Jewish, Muslim, atheist, agnostic. Everybody wants to be happy, right? Allah has designed us to actually feel happiness when we give to others. This is the design of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's how Allah, al-Latif, is wiring us to be what? Pro-social creatures. People who are thinking of others. Because ultimately, it actually makes me happier. And you know how they tell you, 
that money doesn't buy happiness, right? Do you know they lied to you? Money actually does buy happiness, and studies show that money buys happiness. But wait a minute, right? Um, money only buys happiness when spent on others. Isn't that powerful? That's what the studies have shown. That when you have money and you spend it on yourself, it doesn't increase your happiness. Your actual well-being, your positive... Yes, you might have like... You might feel good for a moment, you know, but it's not... It's it's fleeting, yeah? And it's not... It doesn't... It hasn't been shown to increase in positive... Significant positive emotion. But spending that money on others does. And it's 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 so powerful that even just remembering a time... They found this in studies. Just remembering a time that you spent on others will increase your happiness. Can you believe that? So the reality is money buys happiness, but only when spent on others. Subhanallah. Again, this is the design of Allah. What's Allah pushing us to do? Do you understand? What else? Now, what does Allah and His Messenger say about this? So I've talked to you just about secular psychology so far. This is... This is something that an atheist will be motivated to do. An agnostic will be motivated to do simply because it's going to be self, it's going to benefit themselves. It's going to make them feel good right now. And this reward of happiness that comes with helping other people actually comes in this life even before the next. So it's a reward, an intrinsic reward that God has put even in this life, even for a disbeliever. That's an overall, that's just in the design of being human, is that you're going to feel good for giving to others, helping others. Now, what does Allah and His Messenger say? Now, this is now not just temporary happiness. Now we're talking about eternity. All right. Um, I, was, I was really moved by uh, many of the stories that were shared. And one of the things that, that he mentioned was the hadith where the Prophet ﷺ tells us, that your wealth is not decreased by sadaqah. That your wealth is not decreased by sadaqah. And I was just thinking about how powerful that is. And and I want to actually explain that even further. You know, if you're ever having a financial difficulty, I've had people come to me and ask advice. What should I do? I'm having this financial difficulty. I'm in debt. I have this issue, right? And you know what the best advice I can think of to give that person? Is give sadaqah. That seems a little strange, right? Because you think that if you're having uh, scarcity, that you should hold on tighter, right? But subhanAllah, it doesn't work that way. Um, let me ask you a question. Uh, if I were to explain to a five-year-old who only has $10, the concept of investing, they're not going to understand it. What are they going to feel like if I tell them, look, 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 just give me that $10, and I'm going to invest it. What are they going to feel like has happened to that $10? They're going to think it's been lost, right? A five-year-old can't understand the concept of investment, right? All the five-year-old sees is I had $10, now I don't have $10. Therefore, it's been lost. That's the understanding of a five-year-old, right? Now, if I then talk to an adult and I tell them, look, give me this money that you have and I'm going to invest it. And you can explain to that adult, that adult is willing to give up the $10. Why? Because the understanding that the adult has is that I'm not losing this money, I'm growing it. Do you guys see what I'm saying? The, the adult understands that. Now, spiritually, spiritually, 
when you give sadaqah, some people who don't have a deeper understanding may think that that's being lost, just like the example I gave of the child, right? But the people who really understand the way things work, the way things work in the unseen, realize that that money is being invested. Any money that you give for sadaqah, any money that you give for the sake of Allah, not only is it not decreasing your wealth, it's actually growing your wealth. And and I guarantee you, any time you give an amount for the sake of Allah, pure pure intention, you will not just get that amount back, but it will be increased. And those of you who've done it can know from experience that that's a fact. That any amount you give for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah grows your money. He will put barakah in your wealth, and you'll actually get back more wealth. And you'll be amazed because it'll come from places you never imagined. That is the promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's an investment. You know, one time the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Aisha told told him that she, you know, there was like, uh, there was, a, there was a, an animal that she had uh, given a portion of for charity, right? But then there was this one part of this animal that the Prophet sallallahu specifically liked, especially liked. So she says to him, I gave this portion for charity, and I kept your favorite part. And you know what he said to her? This is like eternal teaching moment. He said, no, the part you kept, the part you kept is the part that was given away. And the part that was given for charity is the part we kept. I don't know if you get that. That he's teaching her that it's the things we give for the sake of Allah that we are ultimately keeping. The stuff that we give for the sake of Allah is what we ultimately hold on to. And it's the things that we hold on to that we're ultimately going to lose. You know why? Because كُلُّ مَنْ Everything is passing away. Everything in existence is passing away. وَيَبْقَ وَجْهُ رَبِّكَ ذُو الْجَلَالِ وَالْإِكْرَامِ There's only one thing that's remaining, and that's the face of Allah. That is وَجْهِ رَبِّكَ And anything I do for وَجْهِ رَبِّكَ Anything that I'm doing for Allah, there's only thing that's, that's remaining. And everything else is passing away. Because at the end of the day, no one goes into their grave with their wealth, right? Another lie. You actually do go to your grave with your wealth. But which portion of it? This is deep. Because the Prophet ﷺ says that all of the actions of, of the children of Adam are, are done once you die, right? Everything is done. Except there's three things that continue to go with you to your grave. There's three things that actually continue to go with you in your grave. And you know what one of them is? Something called Sadaqa Jariyah. Sadaqa Jariyah is a charity that you gave while you were in this life that continues to benefit others even after you go to your grave. These are the types of charities where you're investing in an institution, in something that even after you pass away, it's going to keep helping people. Something like this organization. So the reality is you are going to your grave with your wealth, but only the portion that you gave for the sake of Allah. Isn't that amazing? But all the rest that you held on to, that's the part that doesn't go to your grave. So that's, that's a different way of thinking. And now what I'm saying to you, again, now I'm talking to you as a self-interested human being because human beings are this way. 
What else do we need as human beings? I'll tell you something we need desperately as human beings, and that is safety. Human beings need safety. Not only do we need safety in this life, but even more importantly, we all desperately need safety in the next life. Am I, everyone agree? Everyone pretty much agree? Um, if there's any place that we need protection, it's going to be when we stand in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Am I right? So if I'm as a human being and I'm thinking, I'm thinking logically, right? I'm thinking, you know what? I really need to be safe on a day when children are going to be so terrified they're going to turn gray, when mothers are going to be throwing their own children, even the ones they're nursing. This is real. This is real. It's not just a concept. It's just, this is actually going to be. And Allah, when He talks about the Day of Judgment in the Qur'an, even uses the past tense. Why? Because it's certain. It is. It is. It's as if it's already been. It's a certainty this is going to happen. This is a really scary day. We're scared when we see natural disasters. We're scared of the damage. You know, the, the, the immense damage that we see from hurricanes and tsunamis. And These are signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah is showing us these signs so that we can take heed that this is just a glimpse of the day of judgment. Don't think that these signs, that these natural disasters just happening just cause. You know, just cause there was some wind and there was some water and it came together. No, these are signs and these are reminders for us that this is a glimpse of the day of judgment. So protect yourselves. But how? How do we protect ourselves? Do you know that one of the ways to protect yourself on the day of judgment Allah has taught us is to help a person in need in this life. Allah has made a deal with us. Allah has made a deal with us. And this is repeated over and over and over. There is this concept that you'll find when you study the text. When you study the Qur'an, when you study the hadith, you'll find that there is a persistent message. And that message is that how you are with the creation is how God, Allah, will be with you. That message, that connection, you'll see over and over and over in the Qur'an and in the hadith. One example is in the Qur'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed a verse, an ayah, during the time where Aisha radiallahu anha was being accused. And in this ayah, what happened is, Abu Bakr radiallahu anha, he is, he finds out that one of the people spreading the slander was a relative. A relative he was financially supporting. So what does he do? He just withholds the financial support. That's all he does. He doesn't go out looking for revenge. He just withholds the financial support. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals a verse, an ayah to this. Allah says to him, let them pardon and overlook. Why? Why is he being told to pardon and overlook? Not because the dude was, was coming and begging for forgiveness. Sometimes we say, well, so-and-so doesn't deserve my forgiveness. So-and-so hasn't, hasn't even apologized. But this wasn't what Allah is saying. Allah isn't saying, but he apologized, but he feels bad, but he, but he is remorseful. No. It actually had nothing to do with the relative. He said, أَلَا تُحِبُّونَ أَنْ يَغْفِرَ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ Do you not love for Allah to forgive you? Do you see what Allah is teaching us here? Take the person out of the equation. You are being good to this relative, not because the relative deserves it, but because then Allah will forgive you. So this transaction now is being focused on you and Allah. It's not even about the other person. 
Do you understand? It's actually about you and Allah. You want the forgiveness of Allah? Who doesn't want the forgiveness of Allah? Do you want the mercy of Allah? Well, let me put something into context for a second. Do you know that no one will enter paradise without the mercy of Allah? Do you know that no one will enter paradise by only their deeds? And when the Prophet ﷺ told us this, the companions asked, even you, O Rasulullah, he is the perfect human that existed, yeah? The most perfect human being to walk the earth. Even him, he said, even me. Except that Allah has mercy on me. Do you understand what that means? That means all of us are doomed without the mercy of Allah. That's what it means. It means it doesn't matter if you think you're the best worshiper on earth. You're not better than the Prophet You're not. It's impossible. Yeah? Agreed? Because if you think you are, then we have other issues. <laughs> Might need to refer you to someone. Um, but that's a different issue. We, we can't be better than him. No matter how much we worship Allah, we will not be better than him in our deeds. And even he will not enter paradise without the mercy of Allah. So fair enough. It's fair enough to say that we are desperately in need of the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah? Agreed? How do we get it? Can I tell you how? I'll tell you the formula. Be merciful to those on the earth. This is the words of the Prophet sallallahu be merciful to those on the earth and the one in the heavens will be merciful to you. You want to know the formula? Do you want to know the formula for getting the mercy of Allah? Be merciful to the creation. The, the brother mentioned a woman who was a prostitute. She was merciful to a dog. And she got the mercy of Allah from that. What about being merciful to a human being? A woman who didn't show mercy to a cat. She actually abused a cat. And she went to hellfire for it. So the reality that we have to understand is this. You and I need something desperately. And that is the mercy of Allah. The forgiveness of Allah. The protection of Allah. And we're being told how to get that. Be merciful to people. Help people and I'll help you. Allah's saying this. This isn't me making a deal with you. You know what I mean? I can break my promise. I, I hope I wouldn't. But I'm a human being. Allah doesn't break His promise. Allah doesn't break His deals. If He makes a deal, He keeps His deal. Right? This is the deal of Allah. You help people, I'll help you. You're merciful to people, I'll be merciful to you. He specifically says that if you help a person in need, Allah will help you when you're in need on the Day of Judgment. I think that's reason enough. I'm talking, we're not talking about a tsunami here, right? When you're in the middle of a tsunami, may Allah protect us all. When you're in the middle of a, of an earthquake or a, or a hurricane, you will do anything. You will give anything for protection. In fact, on the day of judgment, people will say, here's my kid, here's my child, here's my baby. Just, just save me. Do you know people will say that? It's in the Quran. They will actually offer their own children, their own spouses, their own parents, just to protect themselves. And Allah is telling us, here's how you can get protection. That's how desperately we're going to want protection. It's that you helped people in this life. You were someone who helped a person in need. So I will help you when you're in need. So you see now... When you go and help someone, when you go, you know, these people, I, my heart broke when I heard that story about them, that boy who was abused. 
I mean, when you help someone like that, can you imagine how much Allah will help you? And ultimately, yes, you're helping that person, but you're helping yourself. The Prophet ﷺ tells us in a very powerful hadith, the most beloved people to Allah. Now listen, for a second, I'm going to pause there. If I ask you this question, who's most beloved to Allah? Most people will think of a person who spends their nights and days in the masjid, right? Nights and days reading Qur'an, right? Who has a certain look about them, right? Big beard, short pants, big abayas, long... You know what I'm saying? We, we have an image of what is righteousness looks like. And if I ask you who is the most beloved to Allah, you're going to think of a person who lives and sleeps and breathes in the masjid, right? You know what Allah says? He tells us, or the Prophet ﷺ tells us, that the most beloved people to Allah, watch this, are those who help and benefit others the most. Those are the most beloved. You want to be beloved to Allah? Yeah, obviously. Be the most helpful, benefit others the most. Those are the most beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the most beloved action to Allah. Now we're thinking, okay, i'tikaf, right? We're thinking salah, day and night. We're thinking fasting, right? We're thinking these things, these ritualistic things, which are very beloved to Allah. But what's most beloved to Allah in terms of action? Look what the Prophet ﷺ says. He says that the most beloved actions to Allah is pleasure and happiness that you cause to enter the heart of a Muslim. Look at the mercy Allah has. That He... He's saying, even over the ritualistic worship, is just to be good to each other. It's to be, it's to be compassionate, to be merciful, to be helpful, to protect one another, to be merciful to the creation is the most beloved action to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To put happiness in another person's heart. And, watch this, to cause, to cause that happiness to enter the heart of a Muslim or to solve one of his problems. What is this organization doing? This organization is full-time solving Muslims' problems. Yeah? When we support that, we are doing the work that Allah loves most. And that's what this hadith is saying. To solve the problem of another Muslim. Or to pay off his debt. Or to prevent him from being hungry. Or, now watch this. The Prophet ﷺ, and this is something that the, the brother Khalil uh, referred to and alluded to. This, this is the part of the hadith that always blows me away. The Prophet ﷺ says that working to help my Muslim brother or sister is more beloved to me than making atikaf in the masjid. And he's pointing to this masjid, he's not in this masjid. Which masjid is he standing in? Masjid al-Nabawi. You know the one where one prayer is equal to a thousand in the other masjid? That masjid. The one that we save up our entire lives to just go once to. And people all over the world, literally who can't even walk, will go from every corner of the world, save up all their saving just to spend, you know, a day in that masjid. Just one prayer in that masjid. And he is saying that it is more beloved to me to help my brother or sister in need than to do atikaf in this masjid for one month. The entire month. Do you understand now the perspective? This is Islam. Unfortunately, we've we've made Islam very ritualistic. We've made Islam about just praying and fasting. 
But we have forgotten that Islam is about service. Yes, we pray and fast. This is Allah's right. But you see how Allah has put even this over that, where He's He has put the service to other people even higher in His eyes than the ritualistic things. To me, that just blows my mind. Because it shows us that Islam is not just a religion of praying and fasting or going to the masjid or just worshiping Allah in a room. But that Islam is about service. And every messenger came. Yes, they did the rituals, but they came to serve people. They came to serve people. And I'm going to tell you something else that's really deep. The rituals, you'll find that when you study, for example, one of the first revelations given to the Prophet ﷺ, Surah Al-Muzzammin, Surah Al-Muddathir, the Prophet ﷺ is being told to do something. He's being commanded, قُمِ اللَّيْلَ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا So he's being told to stand and pray at night. Yeah, this is one of the first revelations. This is what he's being told to do. This is training. قُمِ اللَّيْلَ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا And then he's being told how much and, and how. And then he says, إِنَّ لَكَ فِي النَّهَارِ سَبَحًا طَوِيلًا Allah says because you got a lot of work to do in the day. Do you understand the formula? You need to pray at night because you have a lot of work to do in the day. It isn't about praying at night and sleeping in the day. Make sense? We're not, we're not, Islam didn't come to just be rituals so that we do these rituals and then we go to sleep. And we say we did our part. But subhanAllah, the rituals have come to train us to do the service for people and for the community and for the world. That's actually what we're taught. So we have to move away from this just idea of this compartmentalizing of Islam. That religion is that I'm praying and I'm fasting, I'm reading the Qur'an. I may read it cover to cover, ten times in Ramadan. But am I living it? Am I living it? Am I going out and serving people? Am I going, am I reading the Qur'an cover to cover, but not caring about people? Not, not being merciful to people, not being compassionate to people, not seeing someone in need and trying to do something about it. Then that means I've missed the point. I've missed the point of what I'm reciting. And I might have even memorized it. And I have it decorated on my wall and on my neck. Right? But I've missed the point if I'm not using that training of those rituals to make me a better person for humanity, to help other people, to serve others. To, to, when someone is down, putting my hand out to help them. Unfortunately, we go to the masajid and we read and we memorize, but then we use those things to, 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 to knock people down. You know, we see someone struggling. Unfortunately, this is a problem we have. We see someone drowning and all we do is we criticize them for drowning and maybe even push them down more instead of just reaching and trying to help them come back up. You know what I mean? We're very judgmental. And unfortunately, we've lost this sense of compassion and this sense of service and mercy for others. But we have to come back. What is it that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala really wants from us? Allah is telling us that the most beloved person is the one who's most beneficial, the most helpful to others. And these are the most beloved actions to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then he goes on to say, whoever controls his anger... Allah will conceal his faults. And whoever controls his ill feeling, Allah will fill his heart with contentment on the day of judgment. And whoever strives to help fulfill a need of his Muslim brother or sister, Allah will make his feet steadfast on the day of judgment. I think that's reason enough. 
We're all going to stand on the day of judgment. Yeah. And we all need help on that day. And this is how we're going to get that help. You know, I was thinking um, myself, you know, when I was thinking about these pledges, right? These pledges to help others. I was just thinking to myself, you know what? I'm a human being. Yeah. So I think about things in a, you know, in, in a way like, okay, this is an investment, right? And you know, one of the things I'm just, I'm being really honest here. One of the things I'm thinking when I, when I think about supporting an organization like this, I'm thinking that my intention is to help these people so that Allah can help me and protect me from any of these calamities. And that's honestly what charity does. The Prophet told us this, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He said, one of the best ways to protect yourselves and your families from calamity is through charity. It actually, it becomes a block from calamity. If you're worried about getting it, I mean, I heard the story of that mother and my heart like sank that to, to go and see her son in that, in that situ, in a pool of blood, because the, the person taking care of him decided to beat him up. I couldn't even imagine. I pulled myself. I can't put myself. I, I, for a moment, like, pull myself in her place. And I'm thinking, what she's going through. And I'm thinking, right? We then immediately ask Allah for protection from ever being in such a situation. And this is how we can protect ourselves, right? Ultimately, we want to protect ourselves and our own families and our communities from this ever happening again. فقولي قولي هذا واستغفر الله لي ولكم إنه غفور رحيم سبحانك الله وبحمدك أشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت استغفرك وأتوب إليك جزاكم الله خيرا I want to um, I guess I think I can take a couple questions um, a few moments if there's anybody who wants to ask anything or share any reflections before we close yes Well, you know, the reality is that even, like I said, these people who, like this woman who helped a dog, right? It's an animal. It's not even a human being. So obviously you're rewarded for helping any of the creation. Um, but ultimately, obviously our brothers, you know, even when it comes to sadaqah and it comes to zakat, there are priorities. Uh, but all is rewardable, inshallah, if you have the right intention. Any other questions or reflections? I have a question. Yes. Alaykum as-salam. with getting into a good college so they can make money and then they can buy a house and the parents are indulging them with the idea that in the long run my child will be able to donate but how do you teach them to go out like how do I help my community you know or how, I, we need volunteers and we can't get them Yeah. so how, how do you manage to do that because you're here telling us and everybody's nodding their heads because I don't see their children our own helping out. Right. Okay, well, I mean, there's two, two sides to this question. One side is to motivate uh, from the perspective that I'm going from, is which is to motivate the volunteer, saying that this is the benefit, 
of volunteerism. And, and in fact, uh, this is actually one of the things that's been used to even treat things like depression. Is, is to go and, and be of service to others. One of the, the fastest ways to pick yourself up is to pick up another person. And that's just, that's just been shown in, in, in studies. So there is that aspect of it. But I'm going to also mention there's another aspect, uh, which is something we maybe can do more of as institutions. And that is, and, and I, I can't say anything about your institution, but in general, um, I haven't always seen that volunteers are maybe given the proper respect or maybe the proper value, and maybe we need to work from that end as well. Uh, one of the things I found in, in successful organizations that have a very strong uh, volunteer base is they treat their volunteers good, yeah? So they'll give them incentives, because at the end of the day, we are human, yeah? We're, we, are, we are human. Allah knows that we're human. He created us. He gives us incentives. He says there's Jannah, there's rivers, there's, the, you know what I'm saying? There's, there's honey, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of, there's trees. I mean, that's incentive enough for me, right? And there's, there's all these incentives that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us because He knows human nature. And I think that as institutions, from an institutional perspective, because I think you're coming from an institutional perspective, obviously, um, from that perspective, uh, like I said, the, the organizations I've seen that have very strong, uh, volunteers, uh, base is that they do treat their volunteers very well. It becomes an honor to be a volunteer. Um, Al-Maghrib is one of them. Yeah, Al-Maghrib Institute has this, uh, you know, this very, they, they know, they have this model of a lot of respect given to the volunteers. So people become, you know, like, I'm the Amira. Yeah, I'm the Amir. It's a, it's a respect that's given, even though the Amir and the Amira are completely volunteer. This is an organization run completely every Qabila is um, run by volunteers. These people are not paid. And yet, mashallah, they take ownership over that uh, that work because they're given that respect. And I think that's very, very important. And there are other organizations, you know, I work with an organization in the UK called Al-Buruj. And again, very, very strong. You know, one of the things as a speaker, which is sometimes difficult, and I'm, you know, I'm just being honest, <laughs> is that you go and you do your work, right? You, you, you go and you give your lecture and you try. Sometimes these these programs, they last especially in other countries, they want you to be there for like four hours and, you know, it's just intense, yeah? And you're traveling and you're jet lagged and it's intense. And then after that, you have a book signing it, right? But then after that, they want you to go to have a private meal with the volunteers. And that's a, that's something hard on the speaker, but that's because of the value that they give to volunteers. So then they won't have trouble getting volunteers. Things like that will help to encourage volunteers. And so I'm just saying from a practical perspective, these are the things that, that successful organizations have, have started to do to, 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 to build that strong foundation of volunteerism. Other questions? One last question. Yes. Um, Wa alaykum Well, that's a deep question. <laughs> um, he says, I'll repeat his question. Um, he was wondering, how do you keep yourself from getting indulged in the dunya? Well, um, we're going to have to make a new seminar for that. <laughs> that's like a whole other seminar. Actually, just get my book. No. Um, shame, shameless plug. Um, no, but for real, though. Um, it's a really big question. And and in fact, that is what I write about. Uh, it's, it's a huge... It's a lifelong struggle. It's a lifelong struggle to do what? To be in dunya without being overtaken by dunya. Absolutely a lifelong struggle. And that is actually the essence of what I write about. So both of my books are about that. It's about, um, cause it's, it's a struggle I'm in. 
right? I'm not, I'm not like out there talking about something I'm not in. I'm in it too. And, and one of the things that I've written about and reclaim your heart is my own journey. And, and, and same thing with love and happiness. The bio they read was quite dated. And so my new book is actually love and happiness, not reclaim your heart. That was like five years ago. But, um, but these, that's the whole thing that, that I try to, to teach, to learn, to struggle with myself and to write about. Uh, so my short answer is read the book. Um, that's my best answer because it's not something you can answer in like two minutes. Uh, but, but it is the journey that we're all on. And it is the ultimate uh, struggle is to return back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as Allah says, um, يَوْمَ That on the day of judgment, you know, the, the, the beautiful dua of Ibrahim alayhi salam, وَلَا تُخْزِنِي يَوْمَ يُبْعَثُونَ Do not disgrace me. On the day when everyone's brought back. يَوْمَ لَا يَنْفَعُ مَالٌ The day when nothing will benefit anyone of wealth or children. Because that's what benefits us here or so it seems, right? This is how people get status and power. But Allah is saying on the day of judgment, none of that's going to matter. That, that wealth and children, children was a sign of power. Yeah, it's a, it's a symbol of power. Except for the one who returns back to Allah with a heart that's sound, with a heart that's healthy. And so that ultimately, your question is our lifelong struggle, which is to return back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with a heart that's sound. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept from all of you and from me and to forgive any shortcomings or mistakes. Jazakumullahu um, khayran. Wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.